Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Welcome to The Bad Broadcast. I'm your host, Maddie Murphy. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to a new episode of The Bad Broadcast. This episode is going to be a little bit different than normal. We are doing a pop culture deep dive. So something you'll learn about me very quickly is that I love almost nothing more than early 2000s pop culture. Chick flicks, I'm pretty sure, are the reason I'm alive. If anything involves Lindsay Lohan, Hilary Duff, Britney Spears, the Olsen twins, I am in. So today we are going to talk about another one of my absolute favorites, and that's Amanda Bynes. I did a few of these deep dives on Patreon when I was still doing that, and I'm excited to do them as a wide release now. So of course, before we start, we have to do our weekly love-hate. Oh wait, before that, before my official love-hate list, I want to talk about something that is both of these things, that is a love slash hate. It's both of them, but I wanted to give you an update. So A few weeks ago, we were talking about how I've never worn a bikini and I wanted to to do it this summer, but it's something I'm I'm very scared of. So I went to Las Vegas with Meg, as you all know, and she, in the most loving way possible, forced me to wear a bikini. And it was, it was very, very, very scary. Not only that, um, like I had new body parts that were seeing the sun for the first time. So I got the worst sunburn, but that is beside the point. I just wanted to let you guys know I did it and I tried it and I'm going to keep trying it. And if you also hate swimsuits and hate wearing bikinis, that's okay because you're hot. I'm hot. We're going to get through this. We're going to wear bikinis and we're going to have a fun hot girl summer. I just wanted to give you guys a little update that I did follow through. I mean, I'm not to the point where I'm going to post about it yet. I mean, don't get crazy here, but I did it. I did it. And I want you guys to do it too. I promise that I will be brave enough sometime this summer to post one, and I hope you guys will be too. So I loved it and I hated it. That's my love slash hate. All right, let's get into my official just love and just hate list. All right, my loves this week. My number one love, guys, Crocs. I'm a little disappointed in myself, quite honestly, over how much I love my Crocs. Truly. I I mean, I thought I was better than this, but I'm not. And also, I should have started wearing these sooner because it is like walking around in a foot massage. I'm a bunion gal myself. And the reason that I had bunions in the first place is because all through high school, I was really embarrassed about my shoe size, which is a size 11. And it's a fabulous shoe size, by the way. But I would wear sizes 9 and 10. And I would just 
evil stepsister my way into them. And finally, I had to get bunion surgery. And now I baby these puppies. So yes, Crocs are it. And if you disagree, that's okay that you've committed to being wrong. I love them. Next thing I loved this week, Amber Fillerup, the barefoot blonde, the original mommy blogger. You guys know that the influencer realm is not really my cup of tea. And I actually, I don't follow very many and I haven't followed them for very long, the ones that I do. But I have always really loved Amber and I have always really liked her content. But lately, wow, 1 million out of 10. She went in on purity culture. She is crushing TikTok trends. She honestly just seems like a good time. And I feel like if we can manifest Kate coming on the podcast, then we could do the same with Amber. So if anybody wants to contribute to helping with that, I would love to have Amber on the podcast. I think she's amazing. All right. And number three thing that I am loving this week is Olaplex number eight. So I have been a member of the Church of Olaplex since February 2020, honestly, when a man named Kevin accidentally gave me a mullet haircut, but we don't need to talk about that. I've been trying all the little tips and tricks to get my hair to grow. And unfortunately, it just comes down to like using good products and keeping heat off your hair. But I use every step of the Olaplex system, except the one that I think you use while bleaching your hair. I think it's number three. But anyway, they came out with a step number eight. It's a deep condition. You use it on your ends. And I get a lot of people who ask if Olaplex is worth the price point. I think yes, but also I don't spend the money to get my hair done and bleached and highlighted every six weeks. So I get that that's also a financial commitment. I just, so I feel you baby girl on the price. But if you do get a chance to use it, I think it has saved my hair. My hair may not be long, but but it is the healthiest it's ever been. Now let's talk about my hates. I hate, okay, the number one thing I hate this week, guys, I hate a ladies fit t-shirt sizing. Like the ones for like merch or maybe for a sports team, the thin, stretchy, V-neck, slim fit, unflattering on everyone kind. Why we even need male and female sizing in t-shirts anymore is beyond me. But like also I wear Crocs now, okay? I can't wear Crocs and a ladies fit V-neck. Someone's going to think I yell at flight attendants. I just, I can't do both of those. The next thing I hate, red delicious apples. Whoever named these, I just want to talk because you missed it by a mile. Red delicious apples taste like someone is feeding you a pre-chewed apple as though you are a baby bird. They're soggy. They're suspiciously oblong. They do not slap. And I would like them gone. Okay. My last hate of the week is Jiffy Lube. Let's start off with the name. You can tell that this place was lacking a woman's touch because no woman would green light a place called Jiffy Lube. And beyond that, I have never entered a Jiffy Lube and not felt instant fight or flight kick in. They know I have no idea what they're saying to me. So of course I say yes to everything. And then they ask me if I need like a new radiator fluid plug. And I'm like, yeah, I guess. And then I leave after spending $850. So we need a rebrand here. We need a female-friendly auto shop. Remember how we dreamt up Boober a few weeks ago? I don't know what the name of this place is going to be, but I just want it to be all ladies. I want to walk in and say, my car made a weird noise. Please fix it for the lowest cost possible while making sure my car does not explode. Don't try to explain anything to me. Don't try to upsell me and point me in the direction of the free popcorn. That's all I want to say. All right. So now that that's done, let's talk about Amanda Bynes. I am really, really excited about this. So 
Before we begin, I want to shout out the YouTubers that I watched to get all this information. First up is Mila Tequila. I watched several of her videos. She has a very comprehensive series about Amanda Bynes' life. And then I also watched a few videos by a YouTuber called Sloan. And they have more, like more specific kind of detail-oriented videos about her life. So they are both wonderful content creators and they have a lot of other videos about other 2000s starlets. So make sure you check them out. Also, this episode is going to talk about drug use, eating disorders, as well as alleged sexual assault. So if those topics are sensitive for you or just something you want to avoid, I totally understand. And I will see you next week, my little angel. Let's begin our timeline of Amanda's life and the beginning of her career. Amanda was born in Thousand Oaks, California on April 3rd, 1986 to Rick and Lynn Bynes. She is the youngest of three. She has an older brother named Tommy and an older sister named Jillian. So from a young age, Amanda really loved fashion and comedy, much like her father. Her father was an amateur comedian and she really took to that. Her parents encouraged her to pursue acting and she started taking roles in commercials as well as several onstage performances. And not long after, she was the breadwinner of her family, which I mean, that is a very rough first step to be responsible financially for all of the adults in your life is a lot for a kid. So she was entering comedy contests. And at one in particular, she was performing at the Los Angeles Laugh Factory and Nickelodeon found her and they casted her in All That, which was set up like a kid's SNL. And it launched careers like Keenan and Kel and Nick Cannon and of course, Amanda Bynes. So from an early age, Amanda internalized a lot of the negative feedback that she got about her appearance and about her performances. And this we will see is kind of the theme of her entire life. And it started from a really young age. So after all that ended, Amanda was then cast as the lead in the Amanda show, which propelled her into stardom. So I want to talk about a guy named Dan Schneider. Dan Schneider was a producer and he produced the Amanda show as well as other shows like Drake and Josh, iCarly, Victorious. And he and Amanda had a very strange relationship. He met Amanda when she was 10 And it seemed like they had a good working relationship because that's how she ended up getting the role of the Amanda show. But she was being worked to the bone by all of the adults in her life, including her parents. Dan Schneider would hold her from behind in front of her parents, like like a boyfriend would, you know, like if a boyfriend is, you know, hugging you and has his elbows on your shoulders, like his arms around you, you know. Also, he always wanted Amanda to wear spaghetti straps open-toed shoes, pigtails. And obviously, as a 10, 11, 12-year-old, it's going to be an incredibly confusing experience to be sexualized in this way and then to have your parents not only okay with it, but almost encouraging it. And that's something I think that is the most heartbreaking about these child actors is that more often than not, the parents are the ones who play the biggest role in the trajectory of their life. And if that power gets into the wrong hands, like people who want their child to bankroll them by any means necessary, that's when we get outcomes like the ones we've seen with Amanda, Brittany, Lindsay. And I am not saying that all parents of child stars are like this. Of course not. There are plenty that come out of childhood stardom just fine. But when the parents don't set those hard boundaries, I just think it does irreparable damage to these kids. So a new season of The Amanda Show was getting ready to begin. And 
Amanda decided to turn down her contract and she wanted to move on to bigger and better things and start taking on more adult roles. I want to say here that Amanda Bynes is so funny. I think that every time I watch her, I think she has a great presence. I think she has amazing comedic timing. I genuinely enjoy her in everything I've seen. So in 2002, Frankie Muniz, who was, of course, starring in Malcolm in the Middle, was set to star in Big Fat Liar with Paul Giamatti. His co-star was cast, and it was Lindsay Lohan. However, Lindsay decided to take a hiatus from acting, and she was replaced with Amanda Bynes. This was Amanda's first big movie. It's also 10 out of 10. The same year was the premiere of the series What I Like About You, which ran for four seasons and starred Amanda as Holly Tyler. So Amanda was really dominating young teen girls along with Hillary Duff. Both Hillary and Amanda had really innocent kind of this really innocent kind of brand that was working really well and audiences were taking to them. So now we're in 2003. What a Girl Wants premieres. Also the same year as Lizzie McGuire movie and Freaky Friday. Can you imagine? That might have been the best year for movies just with those three. What a Girl Wants outperformed both of those on opening weekend. So also, let's take a moment. Let's take a moment to appreciate the cinematic gold that is What a Girl Wants. I am almost positive. I tried to base most of my personality off of the character of Daphne. She was charming, funny, beautiful. Also, Colin Firth and Kelly Preston co-star. Mm, still one of my comfort movies to this day. So at this point in the 2000s, teens were ruling. And we see that in the now infamous Vanity Fair cover, which came out. It had Amanda Bynes, the Olsen twins, Mandy Moore, Hilary Duff, Alexis Bledel, Evan Rachel Wood, Raven, and Lindsay Lohan. And these women were everywhere. Around this same time is when Amanda first started seeking emancipation from her parents. This was the first public instance of her trying to distance herself from them. Like, think about how bad it must have been at this point. Emancipation from your parents is obviously not the first step. So there must have been a lot going on behind the scenes when she's already to this point and she's barely like 16, 17. She then filmed a movie called Love Wrecked, and that was shot in the Dominican Republic. She got mono when she got home from filming, and she dropped to under 100 pounds. This was a turning point for her, and we'll talk about all of that in a minute. So now we're up to 2006, where she got a role in She's the Man. Side note, there were lots of rumors about her and Channing Tatum dating during the filming of She's the Man. None of them have been confirmed, but I just thought that was interesting. So her body dysmorphia had gotten progressively worse throughout her life. From the very beginning, having all of those comments made to her from a very young age about her appearance and then losing all of that weight after she got mono and receiving a lot of validation about how thin she looked. So as we know in She's the Man, she plays a girl who's dressed up as her brother. So she kind of plays a boy. And this really sent her into a tailspin about the way that she looked. And it really exacerbated her body dysmorphia. She gave several interviews when She's the Man premiered where she said that she was completely unable to watch herself in this movie. So while Amanda was being cast in these kind of family-friendly movies, Lindsay Lohan was taking older, more serious roles like her role in Mean Girls. There was this constant comparison between Amanda Bynes and Lindsay Lohan. Amanda was kind of the good girl. She was goofy. She's this family film star. 
and Lindsay was on the more grown-up side. So even though Amanda hated watching herself, she was all set to star in Hairspray, which was an ensemble cast, and that included Zac Efron and Brittany Snow, and they were hoping that casting Amanda would draw in more of a teenage crowd. Amanda wasn't the star of the show, but she did receive a lot of praise for her performance as a side character. And not long after Hairspray premiered, she was first prescribed Adderall. And again, we are in 2006, which is the height of skinny. I mean, it is probably the least body-inclusive time in history. It was praised to be stick thin. And all of this obviously fed into her body dysmorphia and eventual eating disorder. After Hairspray, she went right into filming Sydney White, which I have actually never seen, but I've heard very good things about. And Amanda really could not break out of this like goody-goody, lovable persona. She was hoping that she would kind of follow the trajectory of Anne Hathaway, who had just done Ella Enchanted and then started getting cast in more serious roles. So Amanda thought that after her performance in Hairspray, she would be able to be cast in more serious roles. But in 2007, everything is crumbling in young Hollywood. And Amanda Bynes is kind of like this goody two-shoes. Like she's kind of boring to a lot of people because things like the Britney Spears breakdown were happening and all of these other stars were in the midst of their own struggles. And I talked about this in the Patreon episode about Britney, but it's pretty sick to see how much people enjoy watching the breakdown of a female celebrity. It's it's monetized, it's glamorized, and maybe we do like a marginally better job now. But in the early 2000s, young female stars really had no protection. People were really enjoying the chance to watch their lives crumble. And on the other hand, people are making money off of it. So why stop? So Amanda decided to pivot her career a little bit. She was really passionate about fashion and she designed a line with Stephen Berry's where everything was under $20. And unfortunately, it did not do as well as she hoped it would. And on top of that, Sydney White was not doing well in the box office either. And Amanda turned more into her prescription drug use. Another side note, she dated Doug from the Hills. I don't know if anybody else will remember him. He took LC out on a couple dates. She called him Dougie. Anyway, weird detail, but they dated. So in 2009, she signed a two-movie deal, one of them being Easy A. Amanda seemed to be excited about this because even though she was set to play the quote-unquote good girl in Easy A, it was still more adult-themed than what she had been working on. And she was also photographed for Maxim magazine. After this, she was all set to star in Hall Pass, which is an R-rated movie with Owen Wilson and Jason Sudeikis. But Amanda was completely unable to keep her prescription problem under control. She couldn't remember her lines and she could not stand to see herself on camera. So she dropped out of the film. And this really was the beginning of the end. She tweeted about her retirement. Twitter becomes a really big part of Amanda Bynes' story, so I'm going to be mentioning her tweets a lot, but she tweeted that she was retiring, and then after a month, she unretired when EZA came out in 2010. She showed up to the premiere. She was under the influence, and she was convinced that she would never act again, and she could not watch herself anymore. She didn't really know what to do with herself when she retired. She was partying a lot. She was using prescriptions. She was smoking weed. And this is when her legal troubles start. She first gets pulled over because she's under the influence and she got a ticket and immediately ran away and then got pulled over again for sideswiping a cop car while drunk driving. This is where we get her infamous mugshot that I'm sure everybody has seen. And the tabloids really ate this up. 
However, they did accuse her of pulling a quote-unquote Lindsay to try and kind of mature herself in the public eye and get more serious roles. At this point, we're up to 2012, where she is charged with another DUI while because she's smoking while she's driving, smoking weed. People in the public started noticing her really strange behavior, like an employee at an Equinox gym said that she was acting strange and they had to call the police, as well as things like she was locking herself in dressing rooms. She was going to cycling classes and just walking around the room and taking her clothes off and just just concerning behavior to anyone who was around her. So at this point, she gave a phone interview to People Magazine, and she said that she was doing amazing. She claimed she didn't drink or do drugs, and everything was just a misunderstanding. She really hammers this home that she doesn't drink or do drugs, even though there is physical proof that she did both. Um, she really wanted everybody to think that she did not drink or do drugs. She would even say things like she was allergic to alcohol uh, to try and get people to believe her, even though she had been pulled over for DUIs, breathalyzed, and confirmed that she had been drinking. So when Amanda was being photographed by the paparazzi, she would beg them to stop and delete the photos. And you can see her intense body dysmorphia coming into play with how hard she pushed to get paparazzi to delete photos. And she would even get in physical altercations with people when she was trying to take their camera and get them to delete photos. Also, paparazzi is just the most predatory job I could ever imagine. I just, it's sad to see what they will do to try and get people, get people to look bad, honestly. So she's still in the public eye at this point. She joined Instagram and Tumblr and she debuts her dimple piercings. Also, she reached settlements in her DUI charges around the same time, but the drugs are still a problem. She had just been evicted from her apartment for excessive marijuana use. Her neighbors had said that they had interacted with her and she was really pleasant, really normal. But the longer she was there, the more erratic her behavior would become. And the, her neighbors just said that the weed use was too much. So she stayed in a Manhattan hotel where employees witnessed much more strange behavior like her coming down to the lobby in a different wig every day. She was smoking weed in the gym with no pants on. And this is where her strange Twitter rants begin. Like her now very famous tweet where she said that she wanted Drake to murder her vagina. I don't know what that means, but it's, it's what she wanted. So this was really like the first time that the public was watching a celebrity breakdown in real time. Her looks started changing and Amanda would tweet and say it was an impersonator. She went to an adult gymnastics class where she showed up in fishnets and she was just meandering around and talking to herself. And if you haven't seen, so there's a specific video of her uh, that she titled Getting Ready and Sucking on a Sour Patch Kid. That's like the title of it. And if you haven't seen it, look it up. But her behavior is extremely concerning. And people kind of started to think that she was pulling a Joaquin Phoenix who had been doing all of this erratic behavior to promote his new movie, I'm Still Here. So everybody was like, maybe, maybe that's what's going on. But she was doing things like shaving her head. She was posting nudes. And then the tweeting got extremely erratic. It got weird. She was telling everybody they were ugly, literally everybody. She was just going down a list of celebrities saying he's ugly, she's ugly. And one night, Amanda has a few people over. These people took photos of her. They tried to expose her and they sold the photos to InTouch. They sold pictures of her apartment. All of the windows were blacked out and taped up. And I just think about being in her position and how do you find anybody to trust? 
I can't imagine the feeling of thinking you've made friends, being desperate for somebody to trust, desperate for somebody to take care of you, and then having these people come to your house, take pictures of everything you own, and sell them to news outlets. It must have been extremely violating. The behavior continues. She gets kicked off a private plane. She threw a bong out of her window and it shattered on the ground. And she was arrested for that for reckless endangerment. And these are where the court photos come into play. You guys have probably seen them. She's got the big blonde wig on. And now she decides to take a career pivot again where she wants to become a rapper. So one night, a guy named Andrew who lived in Thousand Oaks, which as we know is where Amanda is from, he calls the police and he says that somebody is trying to light a fire in a driveway. So Andrew runs over and the person lighting the fire has taken their pants off and is trying to stomp out the flames. It was Amanda. Rumors started that she thought that the house was her parents and she wanted to burn it down. The police show up to the scene where she's stomping out the, the fire and Amanda books it. The cops run out after her. She sprints into a convenience store with her dog. She's trying to rinse the dog off because he's got gasoline all over him. The employees have to ask her to leave and the cops and the fire department show up. They find her where they decide she's not going to be charged, but instead she's going to be placed on a 5150 hold, which I believe is for somebody's mental state. This is when her parents file a conservatorship. By now, with all the Britney stuff going on, I feel like we're all pretty much caught up on what a conservatorship is, but it basically means that the person is unable to kind of take care of their affairs, like their finances and things, and somebody needs to do it for them. So her parents file for conservatorship. And at this point, it, it kind of seems like a good idea. It doesn't seem like she's doing very well and she does need the support and the help. And the judge extended her psych hold, which is that 5150, but he did not grant the conservatorship. Amanda got a court date at this time, but she was able to postpone it because she was on a new medication and it had not kicked in yet and she wanted it to kick in before she stood trial. So she stayed in her in the facility and in the middle of all of this, she also got a record deal from it's a label called Chinga Chang Records. And it's a Philadelphia-based label started by a former Pixar executive. Just random little detail. But the hearing is the following week to decide about the conservatorship. And the judge grants her mom, Lynn, temporary conservatorship. She's then checked into a UCLA medical center, which costs about $3,500 a day. After 10 days there, her doctors say that she's okay to go and they want her to start at a treatment facility in Malibu. From there, she's released and things started to improve. She enrolled in FITM, which is the fashion, I believe it's Fashion Institute of Design and Merchandising. But she was there part-time. She was seen at Disneyland with her parents. She was removing tattoos and she got took a plea deal for one of her DUIs. So it seemed like things were kind of getting back on track. However, her mom publicly stated many times that Amanda was not mentally ill. All that was going on is that she was smoking too much weed. That was the only thing happening. A lot of sources have said that her parents did not really believe in mental illness. They didn't think that that was an option. And that's not great. It's not great when you are suffering from a mental illness and the people who are in charge of you refuse to acknowledge that. So Amanda started getting back to Twitter. And by all accounts, she was looking happy and healthy. But then 2014 rolls around and she's arrested again for another DUI. She was cooperative. She was processed, but she was bailed out by an unknown person. Her parents did not even know. But, you know, these parents are a little bit too enthusiastic about talking to the press for me. 
it doesn't really seem like they were interested in protecting their daughter's privacy in any way. I mean, they give tons of interviews, at, even at their house. Like, they just they just seem a little bit too eager. So Amanda was kicked out of FITM because she would rarely show up. And when she did, she would show up high. Uh, she was going to the clubs alone. She was drinking alone. She was physically attacking people who were taking pictures of her. She was seen on footage humping a security guard, trying to steal things. The spiral just seems to be continuing. So In Touch announces that they had an exclusive interview where Amanda announces that she was engaged to a 19-year-old. And promptly after, Amanda tweets that she's now suing the tabloids. This is a pattern with her, that things will come out that are being said about her, and she will just get on Twitter and say she's suing them. So now Sam Lufty enters the picture. All of our Britney fans out there will recognize the name. He was Britney's manager right before her breakdown. And it was then proven that he was trying to take money from her. And many people think that he is to blame for where Britney is at now. So Sam Lefty gets in touch with Amanda and says that he can help her. He can set her up with a lawyer to suit the tabloids. And she says that she doesn't need any help. The only thing she needs help with is looking pretty. She has this hyper fixation on how she looks. Anytime a paparazzi photo comes out of her, she's on Twitter saying, that's not me. That's not what I look like. I look so much better than that. I'm so much prettier than that. She's just very, very concerned with how she looks. So I'm sure that this is just Sam Lefty's dream because he's a dirty, dirty leech who feeds off of struggling women. So Amanda flies out to LA to meet with him and she's surrounded by paparazzi and she's on the phone when she gets off the plane and she's talking loudly and she starts yelling things like her dad abused her as a child. Um, she wishes she had Britney Spears' dad. And then after that comes out, she follows up on Twitter, of course, and says, my dad never did any of those things. That was the microchip in my brain that made me say them, but he's the one who ordered them to microchip me. So a little nonsensical. But she meets up with Sam and she says that he felt like a brother and that she was looking forward to being with him. But the car that she got in at LAX took her to a hospital. She had been set up. Sam had been working with her parents. But honestly, in my opinion, it was better that she's in a hospital than alone with Sam Lefty. So she's on a 30-day hold at this hospital. But after those 30 days, her conservatorship is set to be renewed. However, somehow the next day after she's admitted to the hospital, she is released and nobody knows why or how. But she does tweet and tell everybody that she's going to sue Sam and her parents. Once she's released from the hospital, she doesn't have anywhere to stay. She is living off of an allowance from her parents while they're waiting for the conservatorship to begin. But she was just hanging out with friends and staying at their apartments and things like that. She gets on Twitter and she announces that she was diagnosed with bipolar. But as long as she stays on her medication and sees a therapist, then the conservatorship will be dropped. Again, a lot of people say that her parents did not believe in mental illness and they wouldn't let her get the help that she needed. And obviously, this is complete speculation. This is not anywhere, but it seems like maybe they were pushing for that and pushing for her to remain unmedicated so that they had an excuse to continue the conservatorship. But one night, one of these quote unquote friends that she's staying with takes a recording of her saying that she wants to kill her dad. The family was shockingly okay with this video coming out because they were hoping that medical professionals would see that she needed help and then step in. So let's get up to where Amanda has been these last few years. So 
In 2017, a judge said that Amanda was doing much better and her mom actually dissolved the conservatorship at that point. Her probation ended and she even announced that she was going to make a comeback. I don't know if you guys have seen that interview of her, but she talks about the Drake tweet and she seems like really happy and healthy and she's joking about it. And she says like, yeah, when I tweeted that I was on drugs and I thought I was being hilarious, but I wasn't. And it was just kind of this glimpse into what... Amanda was before all of this started. She did a spread in Paper Magazine. She did a great interview. Her photos were incredible. But of course, the pressure of being back in the public eye was just too much for her. Uh, She went back into rehab and her conservatorship was renewed. She spent six months in rehab and then moved to a sober house and she premiered her now infamous, again, face tattoo. She was going to Alcoholics Anonymous and she announced that she was engaged to a guy she met in her sober house named Paul Michael. They were off and on, off and on. The conservatorship was getting in the way of their engagement, but she did release a video about the cost of her treatment center and she said that she couldn't afford it. She wanted to see a therapist instead and she made a video saying that she did not want to be in her conservatorship anymore. And I know that it doesn't just take somebody saying, oh, I don't want to be in a conservatorship to prove that they don't need one. But I do think that that is a good step, you know, when somebody's able to say, hey, I'm competent, competent. Wow, that's a hard word. I'm competent enough to not need a conservatorship and I don't want it anymore. So she put all of this out on social media and her last Twitter appearance was actually back in 2019. Uh, Her last tweet was that she announced she was on Instagram. But as of today, I can't find an Instagram and she has not posted on Twitter since then. So it's been pretty quiet since then. And I think that people are kind of waiting to see when she'll emerge and what will happen next. And I do hope for an Amanda Bynes comeback. I'm not going to lie. But if not a comeback, I just hope she lives a happy and healthy life with people who want to take care of her. I think that in solidarity, we should all watch what a girl wants. Nothing hurts my heart more than seeing these insanely talented women like Amanda Bynes, like Britney, be put in situations where they essentially just become a show pony. That's who they are from a very young age. And they don't have people protecting them or their mental state. They don't have people in their corner. And I hope that as consumers, we do a better job in valuing women, especially young girls. I mean, it'll be a slow process. It always always is. But I think that changes can be made if audiences are like willing to change the narrative and not fall for the quote unquote entertainment of watching celebrities, especially female celebrities, break down. I just don't feel like it's the same treatment that male celebrities get. I mean, you look at male celebrities who have had very public outbursts and breakdowns like Justin Bieber, Charlie Sheen, Alec Baldwin, who have things on video and in the tabloids about them and horrible things that they've done. And I don't know, we just don't treat, we just don't treat it the same. Those, those men still have like flourishing careers. And of course, in Amanda Bynes case, we talked a lot about her body dysmorphia and that's where a lot of it stemmed from. And men just don't typically deal with it in the same way that women do. I mean, I just saw literally probably less than a week ago that Mark Wahlberg had to gain he had to gain like 30 pounds in a month or something for an upcoming role. And everybody was saying it was like the coolest thing ever. Like, have you ever seen a headline where an actress had to gain 30 pounds and everybody was like super excited for it? It's just, it's not the same. I'm not saying that men don't deal with body dysmorphia in their own way. I'm just saying in the public eye, it is very clearly not in women's favor. (laughs) 
So, of course, I hope for changes in that regard. I hope for changes in the way the media just treats women in general. I hope for changes in the way we consume information about female stars. And I just, I hope that Amanda Bynes, I hope she comes back. I really do. I sincerely pray for a What a Girl Wants sequel. Can you imagine a story now about Daphne and her dad? And maybe we could get a little Ian action. I would love that. Also, honestly, any sequel to anything that she's been in, I've, I've, I'm looking at him right now. A She's the Man sequel. That might be, oh, it's hard to decide what my favorite Amanda Bynes movie is because while I love What a Girl Wants, I also love She's the Man, but her side character in Easy A is very unforgettable. I just watched it over the weekend when her <laughs> when her character is sitting in the like prayer circle and she's talking about Olive and she goes, we need to pray for her, but we also need to get her the hell out of here. I think that might be my new, my new <laughs> motto <laughs> when I see something I don't like. Uh, anyway. Okay. Well, thanks for listening guys. Let me know what else you want to dive into. I love, I love doing these. I think that we don't talk about these, the women who honestly raised us. I mean, if your personality is not based on either Amanda Bynes, Hillary Duff or Lindsay Lohan, I don't think you can really call yourself a millennial. I mean, I can think of specific instances, especially in Lizzie McGuire. I've said that before that like, I really did think that her and I were one, <laughs> but uh, I can think of specific things that I have taken from each of these characters. And yeah, I just think, I think we should talk about them and I think we should celebrate them. So thanks for listening. Let me know what else you want to cover. Remember to subscribe, rate, review wherever you get podcasts. And I love you. Bye. Thanks so much for listening. Remember, you can catch a new episode of The Bad Broadcast every Monday. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss anything. Also, I want to hear from you. So please leave a rating and review. You can also follow me on Instagram at The Bad Broadcast for all the behind the scenes action and more information. Talk to you next week.